Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast number 1022. We want to continue working through the Bible and how to understand it. If we're going to understand the Word of God and we're going to understand it from Genesis to Revelation, then we must understand God's relationship with His covenant people, Israel. That's right. We must understand Israel because Israel is the way that we got our Bible Through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God inspired the authors of the Bible, the writers of the Bible, to write down the very words of God. All but one of those are Jewish. So we would not have our Bibles without the Jews. Paul said, what advantage is there to the Jew? Well, in relationship to salvation and whether they have an advantage over us and our access to God, that is not in question here because the ground is level at the cross since Jesus died, was buried, rose again according to the scriptures and ascended to heaven. The ground has been level for both Jew and Gentile. And we'll talk more about that later. But what I want you to understand is being a Jew has its advantages, especially those who have grown up in Jewish homes where the Bible is honored and where the Bible is taught and Shabbat, the Sabbath, is observed and where the appointed days, the festivals, the feasts, the fast days, all of those things are observed. There is great advantage to being a Jew. And the reason is, is because those things that I just mentioned are ways that God communicated with his people to hand down from generation to generation characteristics, attributes of God that are needful for us to understand if we're going to be followers of God, if we're going to be followers of his son, Jesus Christ, if we're going to be obedient believers, then we need to understand some of the great things that are taught to Israel. And God has not cast Israel off. God has not replaced Israel with any people, not with another tribe, not with another race, not with the church. No, the church does not replace Israel. God has a place for his people, Israel, in his economy and his management of redemption. And he has a place for the church. And we'll talk more about the church in other podcasts. But right now, I want to center in on Israel. Because if you're going to understand the past of biblical truth, if you're going to understand the future, the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, you must understand God's relationship with the nation of Israel, with the people called the Jews. And so let's go back and see how all of this developed and why it's important. 
Now, if those of you who are listening have just been taught by Western theologians and you've just been taught by those who will take you back four to 600 to 700 years to the point of the Reformation and will say, this is where it all began, they're just not going back far enough because I'm not trying to take you back five to 600 years. I'm trying to take you back 2,000 years and even beyond that, to where biblical revelation began and Moses wrote down the Torah as he came out of Egyptian bondage. And so Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now, of course, creation, the flood, the call of Abraham, all of those things happened before Moses was ever born. Remember, the children of Israel were 400 years plus in Egypt before Moses ever came on the scene. Moses and the Exodus came about, the Exodus in 1446. That's the biblical dating of it, not the liberal theologian of our modern day seminaries or of a Jewish tradition. And those who are always looking for a way to explain the miracles of the Bible away, because of a passage in 1 Kings chapter 6, we can date the Exodus because the Bible is the final authority, not some archaeological dig or finding or not some theologian. It's not the Talmud. It's not the Mishnah, the Gomorrah. It's the Word of God itself. That is our final authority. And that is the basis upon which I base my life, my theology, everything else. Not on tradition, not on history, not on Talmud, not on the writings of any man or theologian, but based upon what the Bible says about itself and the historical events that took place that the Bible describes. And so let's begin, for those who are New Testament people, let's begin with the Gospel of Matthew, the first verse, first chapter, first rattle right out of the cage. Here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus, Yeshua, Yehoshua, the Messiah, the Hamashiach. That's right. Mashiach is the word anointed one. And that's where we get our word Messiah. Messiah is a English transliteration of the word Mashiach. Mashiach means anointed one. The word in Greek is Christos. We bring that right over into our English language. The word Christ is not an English word. It's a Greek word. It's a transliteration of Christos. The OS is an inflected ending that's dropped off. And so we don't say Christos. We say Christ. And what does it mean? The same thing as Mashiach, the anointed one, the promised one that God from the Garden of Eden said would crush the head of Satan. And so from time immemorial, the promise of the anointed one that would come and take away the curse and take away the sin of mankind has been promised. And the closer we came to that event, the more detailed and definite were the promises. It all started out kind of misty, but it was not misty when it happened. It was as clear as a clarion bell. And so let's just start with Matthew. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, listen, who is the son of David, who is the son of Abraham. 
Immediately, we are confronted with the two most important people in the redemptive story, in redemptive history, in the story of God's salvation, David and Abraham. And so in order to understand the promises and the covenants made to both Abraham and David, we have to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis for Abraham and the book of 2 Samuel for David. Now, to those two men were made unconditional promises. And what do I mean by that? For instance, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai, is a conditional covenant. God said, if you do this, I will do this. If you do this and you obey, you will be blessed. If you do this and you disobey, you will be cursed. So it was based upon condition. And then there was the land covenant that was given, the land covenant. The land was given to the nation of Israel. That's right. The nation of Israel, far more than what is present day Israel, is promised in a land covenant to Abraham. But their enjoyment of that land and their residual in the land, that is their residing in the land, was based upon their obedience. As a matter of fact, the exile of 586 that began in 605 was due to their disobedience. Now, that's not anti-Semitism. That's not Jew hatred. That's what God said. I expelled you out of the land. I sent you into exile because of your disobedience. All you have to do is read the book of Jeremiah. You don't even have to read any of the other prophets. Just read Jeremiah, and you'll see this is what happened. Same thing with the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel was scattered across the face of the earth in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. Why? Because they were a rebellious people. And God said, I'm not going to let you stay here if you're going to worship other gods. And so because of idolatry, because of disobedience, both the northern and southern kingdoms were exiled. But in that same book of Jeremiah, chapter 30, 31, 32, you're going to see that God says, I will bring them back in the land. Why? Because I will not forsake them. All you have to do is read the Bible and you'll see God said, I will never forsake them. Read 31 and 32 of Jeremiah. He said, if the sun stops shining, if you can tell me about the details of the earth and you can measure its depths, and he gives all of these various qualifications, he said, if a mother could hate her child and stop nursing her child, and even if all of that happened, if you could do all of that and that were to happen, still, that might happen, but I will never forsake my people for what they've done. You see, many times people will say, well, but the Jews, they did this, that, and other, and so God did it. No, 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 no. The covenant that God made with Abraham and the covenant God made with David are not like the Mosaic covenant, which was conditional, and the land covenant, which was conditional. Go back to chapter 12 of Genesis. That's not where the covenant was made with Abraham. That's where God introduced the covenant to all of us and Abraham. But even in that, you can see in chapter 12, God said, I will, I will, I will, I will. In other words, God is the one that's acting. The covenant is based upon God's actions, not Abraham. Abraham was called to be God's instrument to bring about a people to give a land to, 
to give a lineage to, to be a light to the world. And he did that because of his sovereign will and grace, not because of any attributes of Abraham. So in chapter 15, God actually cuts the covenant with Abraham, and you have the blood ditch ritual that we'll talk about in the days ahead. Read chapter 12. Read chapter 15. Just read them, and you will see God says, this is what I'm going to do. In the blood ditch ritual, Abraham was not even strong enough, didn't have the stamina to even walk through the blood ditch covenant and fulfill the covenant. But God walked through it saying, I will die to keep my end of it and your end of it, Abraham. Now, aren't you glad that God chose Abraham and dealt with him that way? Abraham wanted to follow God, but his flesh was weak. And so God said, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you, and I'm going to see that it's fulfilled. And I am so grateful to God for that. In chapter 17, we have the seal of the covenant. It's circumcision. God said, I want to sign to all of your lineage, Abraham, that your mind and every one of your children need to be circumcised. Every male needs to be circumcised. Now, some would say, well, that's Ishmael. No, it is Isaac. That is the son of the covenant, the son of promise. Now, that's what the Bible teaches. It's so important because, you see, Ishmael is the result of Sarah and Abraham trying to bring about the covenant in their own strength, and God rejected that because it wasn't God's method. It wasn't God's way, and Abraham took a woman who wasn't his wife, and she bore a child, and Abraham said, let this be, let this boy Ishmael be the one, the lineage through whom the promises are made. God said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And so he supernaturally created Isaac. That's right. A woman who's 90 years old, her womb is dead. This is what the Bible says. Just read it and you'll see these chapters concerning the birth of Isaac. It was supernatural. Abraham was 99 years old, 100 years old. Here was Sarah, 90 years old. She was past childbearing. She had been through menopause. Her womb was dead, and God brought it to life to supernaturally create Isaac. And the reason is God supernaturally brought him into existence to fulfill the covenant, and God supernaturally has sustained those children of promise, which later became known as Jews. And somewhere down the line, I'll do a podcast on why we don't call them Hebrews today, those people that are called Jews, and why they're called Jews and not Israelites like they were during the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. And so we will deal with that, but not in this podcast. I want you to see in Genesis 12, 15, and 17 that in chapter 12, the covenant with Abraham that's unconditional was introduced. It was actually made. It's not called made. It's called cut in Hebrew because the shedding of blood was involved. This ritual, this blood ditch ritual, and the shedding of blood of an innocent animal and in this case, several animals. And then in chapter 17, you have the sign of the covenant or the sealing of the covenant, which is the exercise and the ritual of circumcision. 
Also, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made an unconditional covenant with a shepherd boy from the tribe of Judah named David. And that covenant is a covenant that has to do with the lineage of a king and a kingdom. That's right. God gave David a promise that he would always have someone to sit on the throne. Now, that wasn't just a spiritual throne, although the kingdom of God has a spiritual aspect to it. No, it was a literal kingdom with a literal physical king who would one day rule all of the earth and that he would have a perpetual and ongoing eternal kingdom. That's the promise, and that promise is fulfilled in Jesus the anointed one, the anointed king, the anointed Lord of lords, king of kings. He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. He still is today. If you went through the 365 Bible reading plan, some of you are going through it right now and still listening to this as well. And that's wonderful. But you'll recall in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, in the last few verses, Jesus said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify, give testimony of this, to give witness of everything I've told you. I am the root. I am the origin of David, and I am the offspring. I am the child of David. You say, well, that is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Well, that would take a miracle, and God signs his name miracle. We need to remember that the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants are unconditional, and they all have to do with Israel. More tomorrow on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.